Good morning, church. Morning. How are you doing today? Excellent. Very good. And I can hear other people responding. I'm very glad that uh, you're able to join with us. Kind of sad that we're not able to meet physically, but we look forward to the day when we'll be able to meet again. And I'm sure we'll appreciate more the opportunities that we'll have to fellowship and worship. Uh, this morning, the, the title of our sermon is Add to Knowledge, Self-Control. Now, as you've uh, heard previously, for the last nine weeks, we're in the 10th week, the church here has been conducting the Best Way program. This is one of the most uh, comprehensive uh, programs that I've been a part of for weight management. The unique thing about the Best Way program is that we encourage our participants to look to Jesus as the only source of permanent positive change. You know, as a nation, we are faced with an epidemic. And I know as soon as I say that word, everybody thinks COVID-19. But this epidemic is not something that came about just a few weeks ago. We've been living with this epidemic for many years. I'm talking about obesity and being overweight. We thought that it was relevant to share with our community the importance of weight management. And so for the past nine weeks as a church, we've spent a lot of time uh, encouraging certain lifestyle changes and I believe the program has been successful. Here is a summary, a table that summarizes the results of the Best Way program. Uh, this table only has information for the past six to eight weeks. Uh, the participants have offered over 2,100 prayers. Wow. They've read over 775 encouraging Bible reading. Uh, they've called their group leader over 550 times. Uh, they have spent over 722 days of walking. Uh, they've had over 515 days of no snack. You heard that right. <laughs> and they have had over 120 pounds, almost 130 pounds of weight loss. Now, the group has been very committed to the program, and my hope is that they will continue to practice the principles that were encouraged during the program. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are living in serious times, but you have called us not to live just for ourselves, but for others. I pray that as I speak to your people today, that you will help empty me of self, and that you will help me to speak in a way that will be easily understood, even by the children who are viewing. Lord, I pray for this community, and I ask that you will help them to turn to you. Amen. They are turning to so many things, hand sanitizers and wipes. But Lord, I pray that they will look to you, that this will be a wake-up call for all of us. And Lord, as I speak about the matter of self-control, I pray that all listening will come away knowing that they need to be closer to Jesus and focus less on self. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said earlier, we will be talking about self-control. Now the Oxford Dictionary defines self-control as the ability to control oneself, in particular, 
one's emotions and actions, especially in difficult times or situations. I like the definition uh, given by Patriarchs and Prophets, page 562. It says, Temperance, or self-control, is to dispense entirely with everything that is hurtful and use judiciously, wisely or carefully, that which is healthful. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, list self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. So we could also say that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to share with you three different scenarios, and the pictures I'm using here are not my actual patients, but the information provided otherwise are factual. The first gentleman here, and I'm using these situations because these patients came close to dying or, or are in the process of dying, and uh, this is, or in, in, in each situation, was due to overindulgence. So this first gentleman, uh, he was a successful businessman in his early 60s, and at the time I met him, uh, he had advanced cancer that has spread to the brain. Uh, when we told him about his diagnosis, he was devastated. Um, we, we talked for quite a bit, and uh, during our conversation, he explained that life had been so busy, he was so much trying to, you know, succeed that he would just stop at fast food restaurants uh, to have his meals and that for relaxation he would smoke. Uh, so it was very unfortunate that uh, his lifestyle had led him uh, to this very serious diagnosis. The second gentleman who is standing there uh, represents a patient I had. He was in his 30s. Uh, he had lost his wife, sadly, about a year before I met him. And uh, at the time, you know, again, I, I tend to have good conversations uh, with many of my patients. And he told me that when, that, when he lost his wife, uh, he was really devastated. He r didn't know what to do, who to turn to. And he felt that, you know, if he used IV drugs, that, you know, maybe it would just take his life. And so he started that bad habit. And unfortunately, at the time I met him, he had a massive uh, abscess in his heart uh, that had actually also spread to his back. And he had a very high-risk uh, heart surgery. And thankfully, I think uh, he had a, a, a good recovery. Um, the third patient is a gentleman in his early 50s. Uh, he, uh, after completing university, landed a really good job with a very good company. He had many friends. Uh, they would go out to parties. They would drink. Um, he would have barbecues at home, invite his friends over. They would have a good time. And uh, again, uh, the drink of choice was usually alcohol. Now, when I met him, I was the first person to tell him that he was suffering from end-stage liver disease. His liver was completely cirrhotic. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Doctor, I never thought that the little alcohol I was drinking could do this to me. Because in my opinion, I was only drinking socially. Uh, you know, so 
in all of these situations, you could see a pattern. Either they were at the height of success or moving towards success or in a very uh, deep down state. And it's important for us to understand that no matter where we are in life, smoking, vaping, drinking alcohol, or using drugs will only end in diseases and death. Now, God always provides provide the best for his people, but it seems like we always want more. Think about Adam and Eve. They were given the best place to live. They were beautiful people. Uh, they were perfect. And they also were given the ideal diet. That's in my opinion. And you could read more about that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. Lack of self-control is what led them to sin. Even then, men lived uh, almost to a thousand years. Think of Noah, even Adam, Methuselah. But since then, the average lifespan of humans has decreased significantly. Mankind is now burdened with diseases, many of which are related to overindulgence, either in appetite or habits. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, he purposefully withheld meat from them. He had promised to keep them healthy, and he provided for them food from heaven. Think about this. Manna had no preservatives, no additives, no food coloring. But they were still not satisfied. And based on my reading in scripture, it was tasty, like honey. But still, they were not satisfied. Manna was versatile. The Bible said they could pound it into flour. Uh, they baked it. They boiled it. But still, they were not satisfied. Let's take a look at Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 and 6. Dan, I believe you have that. Numbers 11, verses 4 and 6. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Verse 7. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color, color of uh, dullium. Excellent. So God gave them the desire of their heart. They said they wanted meat. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you meat. Let's look at what happened in Numbers chapter 11, 18 to 20. Okay, Numbers 11, 18 to 20. And I say, and say you unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, who will give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat. You will not eat one day or two or five or ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it come out of your nostrils and it be loathsome to you, because that you have despised the Lord which is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Let's go on to verses 31 to 33. 31 to 33. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought forth quails from the sea, and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. And he that gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves around about the camp. Through, when, through what verse? Through 33. 33. One more verse. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, 
ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Did you get that? They gathered quails all day, all night, and all the next day. There was so much uh, uh, quail that the entire camp was piles of quail. They were really, uh, they were uh, gluttons. And as a result, they, they were plagued and many of the Israelites died as a result of that plague. The question is, how different are we today as Seventh-day Adventist Christians? And I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I met uh, this lady who had diabetes. My family met her. And soon after we met her, uh, she fell ill and was hospitalized uh, for a complication of her diabetes. And, you know, we got to talking and she, you know, described what sounded to us like a heavy meat diet. And we encouraged her to start having more fruits and vegetables and maybe cutting back on her meat. And she looked at us very plainly and said, I would rather die than give up meat. And, and that was very sad to hear because she was repeating the exact phrase that the Israelites used. They would rather go back to Egypt as slaves after God had delivered them from the bondage of slavery. He had worked so many mighty miracles, and yet they, had rather, they would rather go back to Egypt. They would rather die, and she was saying those same words, and it was, it was telling. Now, what is our church's attitude today towards the health message? Are we taking it seriously, or are we scoffing? I've heard people refer to our diet as rabbit food. Have we heeded the clear counsels that we've received from the word of God and from the spirit of prophecy? Let's answer that question objectively. Now, the best way participants have seen this uh, that chart and some of the graphs that I'll show, but I thought the information was very impressive and makes an important point. This table has information from the Adventist Health to Study. This study was conducted between 2002 and 2007, and initially they had enrolled over 96,000 uh, participants. After excluding people for one or more reasons, they were left with still over 73,000 participants. Here they are presented in five groups based on their dietary intake. The non-vegetarians uh, ate beef, poultry, fish, dairy, and eggs. The semi-vegetarians ate less beef, less chicken, less fish. They continued to have dairy and eggs. The pesca-vegetarians, the only meat that they had in their diet was fish. The lacto-ovo-vegetarians had no meat, but they continued to have dairy products and eggs. The vegans had no meat and no dairy or eggs. Please note that the largest group, and we're talking about Seventh-day Adventist Christians, the largest group were the non-vegetarians, representing 43.7%. The vegans only represented 4.3%. Lacto-ovo-vegetarians, 34%. 
Now, let's look at some of the consequences of our dietary choices. This uh, graph shows the prevalence of diabetes by type of diet. The non-vegetarians had the highest prevalence of diabetes. The vegans had the lowest prevalence of diabetes. They had almost 80% less diabetes. The same is true for high blood pressure. The vegans had 75% less high blood pressure. This graph demonstrates the risk of death from heart disease. And it tells us clearly that those having six, greater than six servings of vegetables and fruits were almost 25%, they had an almost 25% less chance of dying from heart disease. You see, brothers and sisters, God is not asking up to give up these things to make life boring or bland. What he wants for us is health. What he wants for us is happiness. And that is the only reason why he has encouraged us to change our diet. I have come to the conclusion, based on my study of the scripture, that the promise of health, the blessing of health, is conditional. And we'll read a few of the texts. There are many others, but we'll read a few of the texts here today. Deuteronomy 7, 12 to 15. Seven, twelve to 15. Okay, then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil an increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. Verse 14, you, have be, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or a female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Exodus fifteen twenty six. Exodus fifteen twenty six. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I've brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that heals you. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. It says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health all their flesh. Amen. Let's turn our attention to the opening text, Amos 6, 1 to 2, then 4 through 6. 
I believe Pastor Chris had that. Would you like to read that for us, please, Pastor Chris? Okay, Amos 6, 1, two, one and 2, and then 4 to 6, is that right? That's correct. Okay. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Pass you unto Kalna and see, and from thence go ye to Hamath and the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms, or are their uh, border greater than your border? That lie upon the beds of ivory, and stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs of the flock, and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sounds of the, of the viol, and invent to themselves instruments of music, like David, that drink wine in bowls, and anoint themselves with chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph." So God's people here in the book of Amos were experiencing economic prosperity. They were so contented that they began comparing themselves to their neighbors and feeling proud of their achievements. That's what verse 2 is about. This prosperity was a direct result of God's blessings. But according to verses 4 through 6 of Amos, these blessings were abused. Israel, though successful, were at ease. They were using their prosperity to gratify self and not to glorify God. They were performing, you know, when the Bible here speaks about them being at ease, usually when we hear the word ease, we're thinking about rest and relaxation and sleep. But unfortunately, the connotation here is very negative. God's people were performing immoral, carnal acts in these luxurious, comfortable beds. And this is happening very widely in our communities, but sadly, it's also occurring in churches. You know, the book uh, Christian Temperance and Bible Hygiene gives a warning. It says, our danger is not from scarcity, but from abundance. When we are blessed with much, we have the tendency to start getting proud. We have the tendency to look away from God. We have the tendency to become self-sufficient and self-serving. But today, I think even in our current epidemic, that God is calling us back to look to him, to take our eyes off self so that he can save us. The children of Israel were overeating. If you uh, read the verses that we looked here, they were killing calves and things like that. They were indulging in alcoholic beverages. They were not even drinking from cups. They were drinking from bowls. And while their brother, while their brother was in the pit, think about that for a minute. They were having a good time while their brother was in the pit hit. They were indifferent to their brother. Their indifference to their suffering brother caused judgment. And I want you to go back and read the entire chapter of Amos 6. The judgment that they met was very bad. I think somebody has verse 8. I have verse 8 here. Amos 6 verse 8 says, the Lord God has sworn by himself, saying, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, I will deliver up the city with all that is therein. And they were indeed delivered up, and many of them died. 
Now, verse, I think verse 6 spoke about Joseph. If you recall the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, particularly verses 23 to 25, we recall that Joseph's father sent him with food to his brothers. And I'm sure Joseph traveled a very long way, either by foot or maybe by an animal, maybe a donkey or something. But it was a very long way because when he thought he had arrived uh, where his brothers were, somebody told him, oh, I overheard them saying they were going to Dothan, so he had to travel again. And when he delivered the food to his brothers, instead of being thankful, they threw him in the pit and then they sat down to enjoy the meal. And the question that I have for you today is, are we sitting down to eat while our brothers are in the pit? How do we treat those who serve us, whether at home or in the community or at work or even here at church? Do we put them in the ground with our words or do we lift them up by our actions and attitude towards them? This is very important. A friend said to me this week, and I don't think I'll ever forget her statement. She said, the way we treat others is a barometer of the love that we have for Jesus. It's a measuring stick. It's a measuring stick. So I would say that the story is the same for us as it was with Israel. Today we are heading in the same direction that Israel took. And that direction only leads to death and destruction. It started with Adam. Man was doomed to die because of, because of Adam's sin. Adam was doomed to die. But today, I am so happy to tell you that there is hope. Because even though we were doomed to die, God's love for us made a way for us to be saved. Jesus came and he died on the cross to save us. He not only died, he came and he demonstrated the perfect example. By enduring 40 days without food in the wilderness of temptation and then saying no to Satan when he asked him to turn stone to bread, Jesus demonstrated victory over appetite. He demonstrated victory over self-preservation. Victory over self-idolization. These same victories can be ours. Today, God is calling us to repentance. He wants us to turn back to him. We have indeed rejected wise counsel. We have been living in ease, indifferent to our brothers, and indifferent to God's work. We should be busy spreading the three angels' messages to our neighbors and friends and family and people overseas. But we have been indifferent. We have been spending more time, you know, worried about whether our dress match our bag or our shoes. We have been worried about minor things in life when our brothers and sisters are dying all around us. It breaks my heart when I'm in the hospital, to see the number of people dying. And sometimes I crave, dear Lord, where are my brothers and sisters who could offer hope to these dying people? Can we find a way to be in the hospital to be with these people who are dying? We need to be more urgent about the work God has called us to do. Today, God is calling all of us to surrender. In Matthew 6, 25, 
Jesus says, is our body not more than food and more than raiment? In 2 Corinthians 6, 19, he says our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Can we, as the temple of God, smoke and drink? Should we? Romans 12, verse 1 says that we are living sacrifices. The animals that were chosen for sacrifices were without blemish. Can we say that our lives are without blemish? Luke 9.23 calls us to deny ourselves. Luke 14.27 bids us to take up the cross. And in Galatians 2.20, we should be crucified with Christ because we cannot overcome in our own strength. We have to submit and surrender all to Christ so that he can work in and through us. Self-control can only be achieved when we allow Christ's love to control us. We do not have to fight in our own strength. In fact, we'll never succeed in our own strength. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will become Christ-controlled. And that is why self-control is listed as a fruit of the Spirit. Once we have the Holy Spirit, He will control our lives. Now, in conclusion, I'd like to share with you just a snippet of my own story. My life started out really rough because of the absence of, uh, because of parental absence, and I won't go into the details of that because the people involved have been forgiven. But at the age of seven, I had a very kind, caring Seventh-day Adventist neighbor, and I encourage every member listening to be that kind of neighbor. She invited me to church, and we went to, you know, she brought me to the Sabbath school. We stayed for the divine hour. And faithfully, every week, we would go to church on time. We had to take a bus. And through those programs, I learned the love of Jesus. And by the time I was nine years old, I understood very clearly the everlasting gospel, that I was a sinner that Jesus, because he loved me, came and died for me and for you. And I, I had such a desire to submit everything to him. My aunt thought I was too young, but by the time I was 10 years old, I made the decision and I went ahead and was baptized. God has been so good to me in that in those early years, he placed in my heart the desire to become a physician and he also gave me a drive and a focus that is not seen uh, very readily without, you know, secure, without a secure home and parents who are encouraging. And there is no way I could afford to go to medical school. But all along my, my life, he's placed people who are so caring and concerning. I had wonderful teachers, I'd say the best teachers in the world. And just about a few months before starting medical school, one of my high school teachers called and she said, there is a brand new scholarship that they're offering to 14 students. I think you would qualify for that scholarship, Andre. You need to apply for that scholarship. And I did, and by God's grace, I was uh, awarded that scholarship. And that scholarship covered not only my tuition, not only my boarding, but also my books for all five years of medical school. In Jamaica, we do five years. And God has continued to work marvelous miracles in my life. And 
I, if you were to ask me today, Andrea, if you had life to do over again, like I asked those gentlemen, if you had life to do all over again, would you have picked up this habit? And invariably, they say, absolutely not. But if you were to ask me today, Andrea, if you were to do life all over again, would you choose Jesus? And my answer would be an emphatic yes. You see, brothers and sisters, when you commit yourself fully to the Lord, your life will be without regrets. We cannot sit on the fence, though. Sitting on the fence is not a commitment to Jesus. It's a commitment to the world and Satan. You have to be all in. And today I am calling you to make a full surrender. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, there is no mistake here. Today is the day. But if you have and if you feel like you are on the fence, you need to go all in. While I prepared this presentation, I made a renewed commitment to surrender all to Jesus. And I want you, my dear friends, to join me in making that renewed commitment to his work, to his people, to his service. Mm -hmm.